BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. Hey there, listener. Welcome to the Deep Share Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rouse, and for the last couple of decades, I've slowly been opening my eyes to a very different world than the one I grew up hearing about. And the more conversations I have with interesting people, the more mystifying this world becomes. So without further ado, let's get deep. We've got science to celebrate Venus Blissful! Octopus, baby, come on! There is rebellion in the wind. Everything I've said is true, it's real. Dinosaur blocks? Now let's put those here to test our faith. That damn lie, I, I saw him on my own eye! Did I accuse just drop sharply while I was away? We did illusions, man. None of it is true. I'm not insane! This is mass madness, you maniac! In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion! Welcome back to the Deep Share Podcast. Today we're talking about sleep paralysis. And this is something that I've never experienced before, personally, but I've heard a million stories. I've had friends and family members report different things to me, but all very similar in a lot of cases. Uh, This is something I'm fascinated by, and I think it relates to a larger scale of the story of consciousness. So please welcome Vicki Joy Anderson. Vicki, how's it going? Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Looking forward to the show. Me too. Me too. This is really an interesting topic that I I really like getting into because it kind of it something like this always spider webs into many other subtopics, you know? Oh, yes. And I, I like that a lot. Oh, yeah. So uh for those who may not be familiar with you, uh please tell us a little bit about yourself and uh how you got here. 
Sure. Well, my name is Vicki Anderson, and I actually wanted to be a writer since mm -hmm. I was 10 years old. And I probably had it more in mind to do like fiction and um, actually poetry. I, I wish poetry was a little bit more in vogue. It's kind of hard to sell poetry books these days, but um, I Dang still it. like to write it. But uh, what ended up happening is as I as I got older, I, I got really into like the fringe topics and conspiracy theories and um, I don't, half of them, I don't even care if they're true or not. I love the possibility that everything could be different than we think. Like that scares some people that creates cognitive dissonance for some people. Some people, once you start straying outside of the boundaries, they get very uncomfortable. I get electrified when, when people start talking about it, the more ridiculous it is. And I really have to rein myself in, but um, it's fascinating to me what the human mind is capable of not even just believing capable of contemplating and and i just love it when uh things can be bigger and more exciting and more extraordinary and more supernatural than our current kind of stoic postmodern age has 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 stuffed us into and so i just the the crazier the better and I, I know where to draw the line. I, I like sometimes I hear things and I'm like, I, I don't think that that's true, but it sure is fun reading about it. And I have a respect for a lot of the people who even the craziest of these theories, there's just uh, an, an aspect of it where I just respect anyone who's willing to think outside of the box because you will be persecuted if you do. And oh, yeah. one of the things that I do in my writing is I always tell people I'm just speculating because it's fun. This isn't dogma. I'm not chiseling it into stone and putting it in the Ark of the Covenant. Settle down, everybody. But isn't it fun to speculate whether it's true or not? I just think that uh, we have such a capacity uh, to philosophize and spiritualize things and why would we limit that like let's not be afraid to have the conversations let's not shut people down and freak out when people ask really weird questions or bring up topics and uh, we were kind of talking about this before the show I I take I draw a lot of my information from the scriptures even from extra and parabiblical stuff you know the book of Jasher and Jubilees and Gnostic texts and and um, a lot of Christians are uncomfortable with that. And I was raised in a Christian home, but I, I'm one of those people that asks tons of questions and I'm very, very unsatisfied with the seminary stamp of approval, boring sort of nonsensical answers that we spit out. Mm -hmm. And then when you start asking the deeper questions, they don't know how to answer anymore because that part wasn't part of the lecture. And I just think, if you're going to claim to have a belief in the most extraordinary mind in the universe who created everything, then you're half to be open to the fact that he might be even more smart and more extraordinary than you think. So why are you limiting him to the, the current human, you know, aspect of knowledge? So I just love to explore ideas. And I mean, some of the greatest concepts come from just being willing to, to ask some non-conventional questions. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's my whole thing, you know, be as open-minded as possible because I mean, everything seems to be a reflection of itself here in this physical realm, you know, it's very fractal. And so it really doesn't matter 
if you all agree on a very material basis, because we're clearly all coming from the same place uh, closer to the cl to the core. You know what I mean? If it's all kind of waving outward, right? Absolutely. It's all rippling outward. Absolutely. I, I just wish, and this sounds so juvenile, can't we all just get along? But seriously. <laughs> Hippy dippy, right? <laughs> right. But like, wouldn't it be so cool if we could set emotions and triggers aside and just have conversations with other people? And at the end of the day, if you don't want to believe what they believe, that's fine. You don't have to absorb what they're saying into your worldview. But isn't it fascinating to hear where other people are coming from and what they're saying and yeah. you know prime example and i mean i'll probably get flack for this but um i do a lot of work with through the black which is through the black too is a channel on youtube and tom dunn and i, I do this channel and we, you know it it's primarily christians who are coming there and it's primarily you know christian people on the show but we talk primarily about the occult and we go deep into like what was Crowley talking about what was ba Bailey talking about what's this automatic writing what's the left-hand path and um and we're not just there going they're all satanists oh right. my gosh. you know like because <laughs> you cannot get anywhere if you just throw everybody you know into that lump and I mean I've just learned so much from it and it interestingly you can learn a lot about Christianity from studying the occult and you can learn a lot about the occult by studying Christianity because they're yes. reversals of each other. And so um, I just wish people weren't so scared of their own shadow. And I wish we could talk about this stuff because um, when you start delving outside of the boundaries of like what's socially acceptable to talk about, oh my gosh, the mind just expands. Yeah, I think um, a lot of, and it's in layers, of course, because one group, every we all think we're open-minded in this big community of, uh, you know, people writing books and sharing ideas and thinking outside the box. We're all very open-minded, but then we have our niches and we all get kind of, it's almost inevitable in human nature, at least through this like ego lens that we live by, even on accident without knowing that we kind of just end up in our own boxes eventually and we have all these opinions they just happen <laughs> i know i know and and i know i i, I do too like Me i know too. i've got compartments and i've got boundaries but what what i've worked very very hard on and very consciously over the last probably 10 15 years and it was it was tough at first uh but i've really worked at not having this knee-jerk, reactionary, emotional response when someone says something that disagrees with my worldview. Because what happens is when you shut someone down, okay, that's fine. You don't have to deal with someone else's weirdness. But when you shut someone down, whether you agree or you don't agree, you miss out on the opportunity to maybe learn something that you didn't know before. Mm -hmm. And and especially if you're going to come from a worldview, like I was raised in the church and my goal in life is to get other people to come to my way of thinking. You are never going to successfully do that if you don't ever listen to where other people are coming from. Yeah. So listening is really the number one most effective part of communication is the listening part, I think. Oh, I think so too. Yeah. And that's why I often say that I love doing podcasts with uh, with Christians, even though I'm not a Christian, because I love what they're talking about, even if I'm going to take it in a different way than they're, than they take it, 
Yeah. Like, you know, they could tell a story and then give me their take on what's being said there really, or something like that. I could have a different take, but I still feel like their evaluation of it is completely valid again, because of that kind of ripple effect of, of where we're really all coming from. And I think if you recognize the spark or the special aspect that's supposed to be recognized in the Bible or any religious text, it's like, you know, each other, you, you get it, you get it, you get it, you get it, you know, and it kind of yeah. hopefully, hopefully goes like that. You know, yeah. I often say it's fun to hang out and talk about flat earth, even though I don't subscribe it's no hill i'm dying on but totally agree. i've learned a lot about nasa that i didn't know before <laughs> from all my flat earther friends yeah that maybe i didn't want to know right so <laughs> i know it's, right it's you can yeah like you said taking the opportunity to learn something from the the experience that another person had yeah. and that's mainly what i wanted to talk to you about of course is you know your book and uh sleep paralysis because this is just really really a personal kind of thing right i mean it's it happens to us in our most vulnerable state that we all participate in it's not a near-death experience or a psychedelic trip or you know it's it's just part of our lives and when that's kind of interrupted or, or hijacked in a way yes. from one perspective that's just really really intriguing so I'd love to hear about your book and tell my audience about this amazing book. They only come out at night exposing yeah, the dark weapon of sleep absolutely. paralysis. What a killer title too. It sounds like a horror movie from the eighties. I know. So I it immediately awesome? like it. I, I love the title. And um, so <laughs> I got a copy here. They only come out at night exposing the dark weapon of sleep paralysis. This book was 50 years in the making though. I didn't know it. Um, uh, I really love what you said. It was a perfect place to start. And I don't think anyone who, Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. You got to unmute. Mute. I accidentally hit a button. and I okay. <laughs> I accidentally muted you on accident. I'm so sorry. I'm being censored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I love where you started. I don't think anyone that I've talked to yet has brought that particular piece out. And that is that this is an extremely personal and vulnerable experience. So when someone's talking about this stuff because some of these stories get really wild i mean some of them get really out there you've really got to uh suspend your your disbelief to listen to some of it but um because these are experiences that they genuinely encountered to immediately follow up their experience with that's weird or you're crazy or i don't believe that you know you're rejecting them you know and e even if the experience was disturbing and not something that they enjoyed or want to have happen again. It's something that happened to them. And many times it's something that is confusing on top of being terrifying and frightening. It's confusing. What was that? Why did it happen to me? Am, am I doing something to attract this? It, can I stop this? And so there's a lot of confusion um, and identity built into it too, as well, because even when you don't like the experience, that spiritual part of you is like, is there something special about me? Cause this isn't happening to any of my friends. And so there are so many layers of complexity and emotion and identity and uh, vulnerability, like you say to it. So I'm so glad that we started on that note. So <laughs> where it started with me, I, I can't even pinpoint the first time it happened to me because um, 
I can tell you the first time that I remember, and I was about four years old, but I also have an incident when I was about two and a half years old uh, where it wasn't specific, but I was telling my mom that I was afraid of the dark. And I, and, and I remember the story because it was humorous. I, it, here I was like a two and a half year old kid. And I must've told her I was having nightmares or something. I don't remember. And at the same time, I had a brother who was two years older than me who was having night terrors in the house and he was sleepwalking. And so a lot of it was happening to him as well. Oh. And so at two and a half years old, I told my mom, I was afraid of the dark or can I sleep with a light on or it was something to that effect. And she's like, you don't have to be afraid. The angels are watching over you. And I'd never heard this word before. I'm like, what the heck's an angel? And so in two-year-old terms, she said, well, they're big and they're bright and they're everywhere. And, you know, I think sometimes <laughs> we don't, we don't give two-year-olds enough credit. They really have more going on up here than I think, because when she left, she, she left out the most key component of an angel. We don't see them. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know that they were invisible. And so when she left, I was like, now I'm going to explore whether or not she knows what she's talking about because it, they're big and they're bright and they're everywhere. And I don't see anything. So I, I looked out my window and we had massive curving streetlights going all the way up both sides of the street, all the way up the, the block. And they were big, they were bright and they were everywhere. And I'm like, oh, those are the angels. And I felt safe and I went to bed that night. And so <laughs> the only reason I remember that incident is because when I got older, I'm like, oh my gosh, Vic, you're such a dork, you know, streetlights, what a, what a moron, right? But, but because I now have that marker of that conversation with my mom, and I know it was in a house where my brother was experiencing those things too. And we did have a lot of paranormal activity in that house. And um, for, for those who want to connect dots, if you want to, circumstantial evidence, we did find out later, we were leasing the house. We did find out years later that we leased the house from a satanic high priest. So further energies in that house, were we picking up on something, you know, Hey, um, connect the dots if you want. If you say, hey, that's <laughs> circumstantial evidence, you know, that's fine, but it's a fact. Hey, I would it, probably like switch it around, right? Like he probably wanted to go there because he heard something about that area or something, you know, or the house, yeah. who knows? It wasn't him doing it. <laughs> right, right. But believe me, it didn't matter where we lived or how old I was. This, this kind of followed me uh, really until I was 40 and it would come and go, but what I always tell people is like, look, I'm going to be honest with you. If you want like campfire stories with the horripilating, you know, flesh and you want to spook people, my, my sleep paralysis experiences are nothing compared to some people's like where people are talking about abduction experiences and incubus and succubus. And like, I don't have anything wild like that to report. I can tell you that mine were very scary. Uh, I didn't ever feel like something was sitting on my chest or strangling me or choking me, but you know, I couldn't move and something extremely ominous was in the room. There was extreme levels of terror. And, um, so while my experiences might not, you know, make it into a Stephen King novel or anything, what made mine so traumatizing is they were frequent and they were over the course of 40 some years. And so it was just, it was never ending. They plagued me. I couldn't get rid of them. It didn't matter what house I went into. And, you know, I tried all the little things that the pastors and the website said. And, you know, there's, and I always kind of say it tongue in cheek. I'm not trying to be mocking, but I mean, cause I did it all, but there's a point where you can take all the advice and you can pray all the prayers and you can find all the online prayers, you know, praying against Masonic, you know, ancestors, and you can get rid of all of the 
knickknacks in your house that came from overseas that you think are charged objects. And I mean, you can do everything in your power to kind of try to get to the bottom of this and nothing was working for me. And I'll tell you the difficult part about growing up in the church and really what led me to read the book is there's a lot of misunderstandings with sleep paralysis. There's a lot of misunderstandings in the church and amongst believers. If you're a Christian, you can't be demon possessed. If you're a Christian, you can't, you know, have these paranormal experiences or you can't be abducted by an alien or you, you know what the fact of the matter is uh, it's, I'm sorry to say it's really not true because uh, these things do have legal legalities and jurisdictions and there's a lot of loopholes and they know what they all are and we don't. And so the unfortunate thing about trying to go to a Christian friend with this, and I learned the hard way because I tried it once when I was 15 and she came back and told me I was demon possessed and needed to have an exorcism. I'm like, I'm not talking about this anymore. And I never did mm -hmm. until now. <clears throat> so the problem is, is that people go, they try to seek help. And what they're either told is, well, that can't happen to a Christian. So you must not really be a Christian. So your whole entire faith is now being called into question. You, and then the second thing is, well, we're going to have to find this stronghold. We're going to find the thing that you did that opened the door. Right, and I'm, right, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that those things can't happen. Like if you hang out in graveyards with black candles and you know, recite <laughs> things backwards and you say, speak to me, something's probably going to speak to you. Like, I mean, obviously you can open doors. Ask not, and you shall receive, right? In most cases. <laughs> That's right. So, um, but what happens then is you, you know, you go, you're feeling traumatized by this and frightened and scared and, you know, wondering if your soul is in jeopardy. And then you go for like biblical counsel and then you're told, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to find out what you did wrong. And because a lot of the sleep paralysis experiences that get the most press are the titillating sexual encounters and the incubus and succubus rapes and stuff like that. A lot of people think that that's all it is. And there are many iterations of this. And so what happens then is you're getting put on the spot, like, okay, are you watching pornography? Are you cheating on your spouse? Like they're, they're looking for these things that you did because to, you know, you deserve this because you opened this door. And the fact of the matter is uh, the more I research and the more case studies I have, and the more people that I talk to, I find that sleep paralysis is extremely common among Christians. And I mean, devout Christians. I don't mean the people that go on Sunday and they do their little Sunday thing to feel good. And then they live like everybody else the whole rest of the week. I'm talking about devout people who are genuinely walking in step in their faith. A, wow. a large percentage of people that come to me are Christians wow. and um, another thing is that I am, that I'm realizing as I'm doing these case studies is that there are a lot of people that never get bothered with sleep paralysis until they become a Christian. So this idea Ooh. that you're going to have all that stuff happen to you if you're in the occult or if you're playing with the Ouija board. And again, I'm not saying that those things can't open doors, but what I'm saying is this idea that only people that dabble in new age and the occult ever see these things or experience these things. We've got to get out of that stereotype and Christians need to understand you can be attacked in this way. In fact, you may even be more so of a target. If, if you are devout in your faith, I've had several people report to me. I've been a Christian my whole life and I've never had sleep paralysis, but 
I started having it when A, I decided to go to seminary or B, I rededicated my life to Christ because I had been mm. backslidden and I got really serious about it. Or I, you know, I cleaned the crap out of my life and I got rid of this like stronghold in my life. Or I decided to be a pastor. I decided to be a missionary. Like a lot of times when people who level up in their religious experience, so to speak, they'll say that they get attacked. And what what I hear a lot of Christians say who are exhausted with this experience is every time I try to get serious about my faith or I get deeper in my faith, I get attacked. So naturally, what's the human compulsion? I don't want to get attacked. So hmm. I'm going to just do my bare minimum and I'm going to go to church and I'm going to be a good person. But I am not going to delve deep into Christianity because this happens. And this is the stereotype. People think that as you get deeper and deeper and deeper into the occult, more and more paranormal things are going to happen to you. The fact of the matter is the deeper and deeper and deeper you try to get to truth, uh, it can happen as well. And, and so a lot of people that have a religious experience that's the complete opposite of pursuing the occult are having a lot of the same experiences. And so one of the reasons I wrote the book was just let's get out of the cliche conversations. Like the internet has made sleep paralysis almost a silly conversation. It's something that's not taken seriously. People who have sleep paralysis are not taken seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, even though they're the ones, they're the they're the ones with the first hand accounts, they're not the ones that get to control the narrative. They're not the ones that get to explain what it is or how what it feels like. And in right. fact, much of much of those explanations are discredited by experts. And it's narcolepsy, it's stress. Um, you're sleeping on your back, you you know, a mental illness, psychotropic medication, uh, drugs, like whatever, you name it. Every there's every explanation in the world. But again, do you see, Andy, how whether you're of a religious persuasion or not? whether you're going to a pastor or a scientist or a doctor, the explanation is always, what did you do to invite this? What, what are you up to? You know, you've got a disease, you've got a spiritual problem, you've got unconfessed sin in your life, you have a stronghold. It's always this on top of the trauma. Now the person is in further isolation and doesn't want to talk to anyone because now someone's going to start diagnosing me and it's mm. all going to be my fault. And I'm going to be this, either a bad person, a sick person, or a crazy person. Yeah, that sounds about right. Mm. Wow. That's, yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. There's really no way around it. And it's not, it doesn't seem to be just Christianity in my experience. It's like, you know, when I was younger and very atheist about mm. everything, I felt like hearing someone say the more you pay attention to paranormal stuff, the more it pays attention to you. I'm like that in a cynical voice is like the opposite of what's going on. You know, I would say like, it's, you know, it's, it's backwards. It's that you're paying more attention to it. So you're, you know, giving it more credence that it deserves mm. where it's, you know, that, that was the atheist kind of take on it. And, mm. you know, when you're, we're talking about people, different people's experiences and everything, when you consider so much of the world does reply like that. Yeah. It's, 
it, it's really clear that we're very divided on this topic and it goes so much deeper than just Christianity too, because there's obviously that, that divisiveness, you know, versus the, you know, theistic world versus the yes. you know, non-religious, but yes. I, yeah, it goes very deep into many different directions. Like uh, it sounds like manifestation in a way, which is also a trigger word of evil and Satan. And that's Luciferian and stuff, Absolutely. but it's not, I mean, we're man, literally manifesting everything we're doing. Yeah. And people would just be like, well, that's just called work. And like, well, yeah, it's the same thing. You look at Buddhism, it's, it's work. It's the same yeah, thing. <laughs> absolutely. And that's where it gets so confusing too. And, you know, mm. we're one of the culture wars that we're going um, through as a nation now on every level, political and social is, is this, um, our language is now a slippery slope and it's, it's hard to pin things down. And to what you're saying, there are so many words, buzzwords that are shared amongst the occult, Buddhism, new age, and Christianity. Mm. And, what I'm finding now is a lot of words that even originated as theological terms, because through the ages, they've been adopted by the new age or the occult or other religions, Christians are now triggered and afraid of words that initially came from their source material. And so you have a lot of Christians who are, are not open to talking about these sort of things because as soon as you start talking about light or love or yeah. spiritual beings or the spiritual veil or illumination or manifestation, like you just said, or astral heavens or second heavens, whoa, I mean, the walls go up because that's new age, that's a cult. But it's like Ephesians 6, 12 talks about the second heaven. Now it, it's guised in, in the language of scriptures, the heavenly places. But if you actually dig deeper than your little English translation, the heavenly places, if you go into the Greek and you go into the the like the Thayer's like concordance and things like that, it's actually the layer of heaven between the earthly atmosphere and the throne room of God, you know, that heaven. And it and it is an, an astral or a second or a mid-tier heaven. And so these things that are often chalked off to being purely new age or occult, scripture talks openly about them. And and this is one thing. I, I love how L.A. Marzulli refers to the Bible as the guidebook to the supernatural. And it, <laughs> it really points out the fact that um, some of the most supernatural activity reported and documented is, is in the pages of scripture. You got some right. stuff in there. You got virgins <clears throat> giving birth. You got people being raised from the dead. You know, you, you got a lot of, of stuff that you have to bend the scientific method or, you know, to, to, to step around. And so mm -hmm. what, what is sort of never made sense to me. And one of the reasons why I'm sort of a little bit of a rebel within the Christian community is, uh, I don't understand how the boundaries are drawn between the supernatural things that we are taught to believe our whole lives. And then the supernatural things that we're seeing with our own five senses going on in our culture, but that's not happening. That's, that's, mm -hmm. that's evil. And so I don't know how you can make the distinction between, okay, people are getting pulled up into the astral realm and interacting with spiritual beings. I refuse to believe that, but, but you believe that Paul and John and Ezekiel and Moses, they all had personal encounter. They had theophanies or Christophanies. They had mm -hmm. chariots coming down, you know, like Merkava's coming down from the heavens and 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 angels are coming down and talking to people and predicting the future. And so I don't understand why some things 
that are so hard to believe are easily believed by a Christian. And the things that I don't think are that much of a stretch after that are like, no, 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 there's no way. So I, that's one of the things that I'm trying to kind of get my mind wrapped around because uh, sleep paralysis should not be a difficult concept to believe in. If you already, if, if you believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God and every crazy miracle in that book is true, you should not have trouble getting yourself um, wrapped around astral projection or spirit guides or ascended masters or sleep paralysis. And that's fine. If you think those things are evil and wrong and bad and demonic, that's fine. Um, mm. I'm not even saying I disagree with you, but what I'm saying is I'm talking to the people that say that stuff doesn't exist. And right. <laughs> we're not going there and there's no astral plane and people aren't really doing that. And they're just on drugs. Like there's a point where you just can't blame every supernatural thing in the world on someone's on drugs. Well, also even, I mean, from my perspective, doing lots of psychedelic substances in the past, I remember laughing hysterically for about two hours, probably, or it might've been a thousand years. I'm not really sure at the time, but because I had eaten a lot of mushrooms and then like a couple hours had gone by and a friend of mine had said, Hey man, you never finished the rest of your mushrooms. And that concept blew me away i was like what are you talking about because i was completely out of this world i was in my own head it was a different it was the un unseen yeah. to me it's like you're you're in line with your subconscious all of a sudden after many many years of not being able to be in contact directly and uh so the idea that i had to consume something to get there was the most foreign concept to the perspective I was yeah. coming from at the time. And he had to convince me and show me. And I, I did eat the rest of them and it was the most unnatural <laughs> feeling in the world. I'm like, I'm already there. I don't that, understand. I'm so glad that you mentioned that Andy. I, I'm loving this conversation because so many things have come, <laughs> Likewise. Up haven't come up in other conversations. And oh, um, when you said that, that you had to eat something to come into uh, contact with a spiritual reality. Again, I can hear Christians like, Oh, you know, oh. But in the book of revelation, John exiled onto the Island of Patmos. He has his revelation, right? He has this vision. Mm -hmm. And here again, the Christian word is vision. That's not a hallucination, totally right. different. Right. Um, and so you can talk about, well, John had an experience with the Holy Spirit and it was all like, that's fine. Not saying I disagree with you, but what's interesting in the book of Revelation, because we don't think of it in these concepts, there is an occasion where he's given a scroll and he reads the scroll that has forbidden knowledge, secret up to this point knowledge. And the word occult just means secret or hidden. And yep. so we're all, and then we as Christians are taught to say nothing is hidden because Jesus said, everything the father has told me, I have told you, I, you're no longer servants, but friends. Um, and, but we also have an instance in revelation where John goes to write something down and he's told, don't write that down. So mm. something's being kept from us. John knew something that we don't know. He's told to read this scroll. There's information on this scroll and a scroll is like, it's like a, it's a piece of paper. It's a document. It's not edible, right? What's he told? Do you know what he's told to do with the scroll? Um, assuming set it on fire. No, you're going to oh, love this. Yeah. After he reads the scroll, he's instructed to eat it. 
oh, that makes so much more sense on like an allegorical level, you know, yes. not to brush off any literalism really, but yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that never made sense to me as a kid. I'm, Cause like I would envision like this parchment, like gross, but then yeah, it, right? says, it, it says then in, in revelation, it says that when he ate the scroll, it tasted like honey, but then it turned bitter in his mouth. And this is also interesting to me because I don't agree with this idea that everything's cut and dry and that everything that comes from God is titillating and love, a joy, peace, love, because there's a lot of aggression in the scripture. There's a lot of wrath. There's a lot of, you know, there's other things that a lot of current Christianity likes to sweep under the carpet. But mm -hmm. what's, what's interesting to me about that is he's reading this scroll and he, then he's told to eat it. And then, you know, this is during a, we can't call it a hallucination. It's a vision. That's the Christian word. It it's a vision because there's nothing, you know, questionable or weird about what's going on here. Right. You know, there's nothing mm -hmm. questionable. We're weird. Right. About that, right? It just doesn't happen anymore. That's <laughs> That's right. So he eats the scroll. It's like honey, but then it turns bitter. And this is a perfect metaphor for knowledge. Yeah. I was going to say the truth. Yeah. Because when you learn the truth, I mean, even scripture says this, the, the tree that cursed mankind wasn't a tree of lust. It wasn't a tree of murder. It was, it wasn't one of the seven deadly sins. It was a tree of knowledge. Okay. Right. And yeah. so what did they do? They ate what Eve ate the tree. And what was her first comment? Her first comment was this is good. This is good for the, that's eyes. right. And she said, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. But then what happened? after the delight of it went away oh now they're in trouble so it turned bitter yeah. in her mouth and so the same thing with occult knowledge and even with christian knowledge we get this idea that once we have our minds opened and expanded and we learn more, once these mysteries are shown to us and explained to us once we have that knowledge mm. we will have joy peace and light right. is a lot of times knowledge it does lead to to truth and to freedom and to healing and things like that but there's a weight of it it's it's like the heavy is the head that wears the crown kind of a, yes. of a, a thing and um you know my my pastor used to say i had a pastor that used to say and this was in reference to studying the scriptures right he said if you rake leaves all you'll get is leaves um if you if you dig for treasure you might get pearls and right. it's the fact that I love this because you can get up every morning as a Christian and you can say, oh, got to have my devotions. And you read your little five minute piece of paper and then you go about your day and that's all you do. And though you've raked up your leaves for the day, you have your dead, crusty leaves, right? Mm -hmm. The thing about getting pearls is that is way more of an investment. You got to buy super expensive scuba gear, scuba gear. <laughs> you got to get training. You, you've got to get all your hours in and there's an element of danger in going underwater. You could, you could lose oxygen. Your equipment could malfunction. Um, you could go too deep and the, like the deeper you get, it gets colder, it gets darker. And so there is a risk and a danger to the treasure hunting. And that's the same yes. thing with, the, with knowledge. That's the hero's journey. That's right. So 
you can like not to just throw every metaphor at, at you that I can think of, but it does remind me of one of my favorite scenes in the Lord of the Rings movie where they are they find the the mines underground that are now abandoned mm -hmm. and he tells the story in a very poetic uh uh of how they found the gold and they got greedy for it and they kept digging deeper and right. deeper and deeper and there was a point where they dug so deep that they let open the cavern where the dragon was and so they're their thirst for this gold actually ended up in the destruction of their people. And the same thing can be with knowledge and even in spiritual knowledge and in heavenly knowledge, like, cause again, Christians tend to think, well, that's it only if you study that kind of knowledge. But right. if you go to the book of Enoch, interestingly, Azazel, who was thrown into the abyss and is locked mm -hmm. up there until the, the end, right? <clears throat> Azazel was punished and rather than, you know, the book of Enoch doesn't specifically say you're being punished because you left heaven and you came down and you mated with earth women and, and spawned the Nephilim giants. Like he may have participated in that, but the text doesn't actually say that Enoch did. It says that Samyaza and these other 200 did, but Azazel's specific punishment is that he shared the secrets of heaven with oh. me. I didn't know Azazel was Anki and Jesus and Ea and, and you know, all the rest of them. Uh, Azazel, <laughs> Baden, Shiva, um, you know, Neptune. the destroyer. <laughs> and um, so basically, the snake. He shared the secrets of heaven, right? Mm -hmm. um, and which was war, weaponry, um, like, herbs like that led to like you know drugs and cosmetics you know because this all pertains to seduction sex war and a lot of all the, the the pantheon a lot of the gods and goddesses were gods of sex and war where did they learn sex and war seduction and weaponry azazel mm. they were secrets of heaven and he was punished for sharing them because they were forbidden but what's even more interesting is uh, you see a little bit of a uh, personality and a sense of humor um, from 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 God in this, where He says, I, "I can almost hear Him saying this in an Italian accent." Like it's funny to be like, <laughs> "You shared with them the gifts of heaven. You didn't even share them the good stuff. You didn't even give them the good stuff." He he basically <laughs> said, "You're you're now damned because you shared the secrets of heaven with mankind, but you didn't even give them." The good stuff. He, and it says in the book of Enoch that Azazel shared the worthless secrets of heaven. Hmm. Now that's, that's, that's interesting. That should be offensive to the Christian ear. There's no worthless information coming from heaven that throws right. Tell me there's worthless knowledge. What? Like, and we could do a word study and see if, sure. you know, worthless might not mean what it means in English. Like, and, you know, and I'm not mocking that, but the fact is, um, we get several clues from that passage. There are things that God chose to reveal in scripture, but there is a whole bunch more that he didn't reveal. And so you can point the finger at the occult because they've got all these secrets, but God didn't share everything with us, nor does he have to, there's, there's no entitlement there. And so he shared the, the worthless secrets of heaven. And so what that shows is, uh, not everything in heaven is necessarily understandable. Mm -hmm. And 
that there are secrets that alone there are secrets you know and the, the the biblical language is who has known the mind of the lord who has been his counselor who has ever given to god that god should repay him for from him through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever so that's kind of the way christians sort of accept the fact that we're not going to know everything and that's okay because we're created and who who can know the mind of the lord but the fact of the matter is for the inquiring people the people seeking knowledge the people who spend three years writing a book trying to figure out what is this and why are they <laughs> you have to come to grips you have to deal with your own pride and your own ego and say there's a whole bunch of stuff he didn't tell us there's a whole bunch of stuff that's not in the bible and people get uncomfortable when I say this, like Christians are always joking about when I get to heaven, I'm going to the information booth and I'm asking this question, ha ha ha, you know, and the fact of the matter is, and I don't think a lot of Christians realize this. What if you get to the information booth in heaven and you ask your question and he says, none of your business. <laughs> he gets to say that, you know, so <clears throat> <clears throat> anyway i i hope we're not going too far off topic no but... you brought me to a great place okay cool <laughs> yeah no i mean the the stories you've shared about this the secret knowledge and everything just i mean i know i've i've kind of told it on the podcast before so my fans will probably have to deal with this but <laughs> sorry guys the psychedelic story you know it's like i when I got there, when I had this, and again, I was tripping with a bunch of friends all the time and none of them felt this way. And I was the crazy one still, even though we were all doing it. Interesting. But, um, so I had my experience with this presence or whatever it was. And I got, I did get a message at one point and that was the first trip, which Terrence McKenna always said that uh psilocybin is always very easy on beginners and i <laughs> had to laugh when i heard that because i'm like it was because wow. i didn't have a quote-unquote bad trip which just means a learning uh trip uh till my like yeah. second or third one but i did have a voice of some kind and like the greatest warmest hug feeling ever that said it's always been okay it always is okay and it always will be okay which was the most simple childlike answer you could give someone you know it was it was perfect um but i've also had this intense experience where i took a lot more and i was like winding over the branches of the tree of knowledge in my head basically mm -hmm. like i was following this questioning that the first trip had given me because i came out of that first trip in tears going wow. oh my god i can't believe this happened to me wow. you know it, it just it completely changed my life and then this other deeper trip was to reflect on what, what is all the stuff that I found so amazing in there that I can't remember anymore from that first trip. And I was able to analyze this whole experience. And I go to the very, very end of this like spiraling amount of information. And I basically got to a point as if I had learned all the knowledge or something, mm. but wherever I got, I, my brain has completely repressed and where I got was this place that felt like janitors were sweeping the floors mm. and it felt like, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to see this yet. It felt like I was uh, opening presents that were tucked away in a closet before yes. Christmas. The Balrog. <laughs> and it felt, and that's why I've been, I've been very fascinated by like near death experiences for a very long time, because a lot of what they report back feels a lot like feelings and, and, 
information that I felt like I came back with. So yeah, absolutely. very perplexing. And it reminds me of this hidden knowledge thing. I even came out of another trip feeling like there's a hidden story within language. Who knows? But like, it's this essence of this secret. And I've gotten into psychology, Buddhism, Christianity, just every direction on the spectrum of being a human to see what everyone's saying about this thing we can't name, this experience of God or consciousness or whatever. Yes. And that's always, you can't, you can't name it. You can never really see what it really is. There's always a hidden part, it Mm. seems. And that maybe that's where a cult comes from originally, like (laughs) hidden within. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would think, and I, I don't know if I think the same way other people do, but if I got to heaven someday and God sat down and explained every single intricacy of his mind and heart and soul to the point where I completely understood him. I, I would personally be pretty bored. I, I wouldn't want that. Like, <laughs> I, the, there's something about the mystery of it, you know, and e- even on a human level, um, I, I've told people this before. I said, you know, I'm glad that I was a teenager in the eighties because in the eighties, we didn't have the internet and social media and all that. And so when you admired, like, like if you had a favorite band um, or a guitar player or somebody you liked, you knew very little about that guy. Like, you would maybe get a little interview here and there in a guitar magazine. And a lot of times they didn't talk about their personal life. They were just talking about their gear or a tour or something. And so you could make that celebrity larger than life in your own mind. You could make them perfect. You could make them wonderful. You could make them funny. And you, you could really make them into more than a rock star. You could make them into, you know, in your own little God, which a lot of people do. And nowadays with all of the information available, every celebrity is just a normal human being. Now, you know, we know what they eat. We, we know when they're sick. We, you know, we know when their kids hate them. Like, and so it's like, they're normal now. And so there was an ability to sort of admire and worship your idols 30 years ago that you can't really do anymore. Cause now you're like, Oh, they're human, just like me. And uh, it's a kind of the same thing with God. I don't, even if I'm standing before him someday in some sort of perfect body in heaven, you know, scenario, I don't want to have him. I don't want to figure him out. I, <laughs> I, I want him to be larger. Like that'd be like to me to like, I want to go to the Grand Canyon. And because I cannot contain the beauty and the awe of the Grand Canyon, the way I'm going to deal with that is I want to make it really small and I want to hold it in the palm of my hand because mm. now I can deal with it. But now it's not beautiful and now it doesn't inspire awe and now it's nothing to look at. So I want the Grand Canyon to always be something that I can't grasp. And that's so- beautiful. <laughs> I, I yeah. love that. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. 
New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Yeah, so, but to, to what we were saying too, um, and I'm going to give a new age and a biblical perspective on this because cool. we're on the same page here. Um the the biblical concept so when you're talking about pursuing knowledge and especially spiritual knowledge and in greater um greater spiritual realities it, it says in first john uh, a book in, in in the in the new testament first john says test every spirit to see whether it is of god and the whole book of first john is a handbook on how not to get deceived by a serpent like entity who's like, Oh no, you're going to become like a God. This is great. Like the whole book of first John, and it's short. I think it's only five chapters. The whole thing is, uh, there, there are many antichrists among us. You know, we mm. talk about the, the antichrist who's going to come in the end times and there's the boogeyman. Whole... Yeah. And you know, th- there might be a creme de la creme guy that comes in the end. That's fine. But the fact is, according to John, anyone who's a false deceiver anyone who is you know pretending to be a god and is not they're they're an antichrist they're this anti mm. this yes yes or, <laughs> so or a satan because the satan is the one who stands against like absolutely the, the etymology yeah <laughs> yep hasatan the adversary. Uh, yes so um for john says test the spirits to see whether they are from god now on the other end of the spectrum uh Erin Pavlina who is a uh, a psychic and she's got a YouTube channel and she has like a show called Ask Erin Pavlina and and so one of the questions she got asked in one of her episodes was hey when I'm up in the astral I heard that there's lower vibrational beings up there who pretend that they're higher vibrational and they act like they're going to be your spirit guide and they're going to be great and I talk about this in my book I quote this extensively and um and I've heard that they're posing they're like wolves in sheep's clothing and how do we avoid these um these lower vibrational beings that are posing as our friends and as our guides and i love the fact that aaron was like oh you are 100 percent right and she says when you get into the astral it's every man for himself and so sounds like nature right so she's not saying like (laughs) no, no, everything up there is copacetic. Everybody up there is great. Like, she's saying like, no, that's that's a dangerous place. You better know what you're doing. You better know who you're talking to. And so in a way she's saying, test the spirits to know whether they're from God, right? And so uh, we have to come up with ways to do that. Now, John and the Christian method of testing the spirit to see whether they are from God is any spirit that's contradicting the word of God obviously isn't his spokesperson. And so that's, you know, their way of doing it is like butting it up against scripture. And obviously a new age or an occultist, a Buddhist, they're not going to do that. But um, so, you, you know, you have to find your way of testing spirits. But one thing that I, I warn people about is n- everything's not cut and dry. Right. Everything's not like everything that's wonderful and pure and bright is good. And everything that's scary is bad and evil and Satan. Right. And so what I like to point out is um, there are a lot of experiences where people deal with lower vibrational beings or demonic entities or uh, fallen angels or deceitful spirits, but they will explain that 
it was one of the most wonderful experiences of the life and they felt loved and all life made sense all of a sudden and they saw this bright light and they felt so loved you know come to find out later they were being lured into a trap and that thing spawned off like their ruin right mm. but it's not just that I like to point out to Christians too, like before you get too cocky looking down your nose at the new agers, guess what? Every, not every, many of the biblical encounters where a human being encounters an angel, an angel sent by God with a message from God. A lot of times angels were bearing good tidings of great joy so they were good guys from the good heaven with good news, right? Almost every passage in scripture where a human being encounters one of these angels, do you know what their reaction is? <laughs> uh, yeah, like don't be afraid or be not, a, right? Like be yeah. not afraid. <laughs> yes. One of the first things out of every angel's mouth is don't be afraid. Mm. These people are terrified. They're shaking in their boots. Some of the passages are actually funny. Some of the guys fainted. Uh, there's one passage that uh, that actually alludes to the fact that he probably soiled himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. There, one one of the prophets when when he had an encounter, um, he became so self aware of his own fallen nature in contrast to this holiness that was in front of him that he was in terror of his soul and he was like i am a man of unclean lips he starts he starts confessing his sins and so um i tell people that and this really plays into the sleep paralysis discussion because i tell people you cannot let your emotional response to these spiritual encounters alone be the litmus test for whether these things are friend or foe because there are incubuses and succubuses and spirit guides and ancestral spirits that will come to you and you will feel love, you'll feel joy, you'll feel pleasure, uh, you'll feel orgasm, you'll feel welcome. Um, and then there are encounters where uh, when when you encounter holiness and purity, like it, we as a fallen being, when when you get into the presence of something that is pure holiness and you you see that contrast you're gonna feel terror or you're not gonna feel good about yourself or you're gonna become aware of like oh man i treated my brother like crap and oh i'm always yelling at my kids and like there's this and i can prove this to you on the lower level you know when you're a kid and you're laying in bed and it starts to thunder and every time it thunders you feel this like terror going all the way through your body why why is that, that this thing occurring in nature actually causes you to kind of contemplate? Like I went through a period in high school where um, when I would be caught off guard by like really tumultuous thunder, mm. I would subconsciously become aware that I was confessing my sins and asking God to forgive me. I'm like, wow. I'm like, why am I doing that? Like I was fascinated by it because I love thunderstorms. I'm not typically afraid of thunder, but right. strange things like that where, you know, or when we, when we're about to get into a car accident or people have gotten into situations like where they realize that they've gotten themselves into hot water, like showed up for a date they shouldn't have showed up for. And even atheists, they'll start bargaining like, oh yeah, God, if you get me out of this, I will go to church. <laughs> yeah, no I mean? atheist like, in a foxhole. <laughs> right. So right. it's funny how our emotions 
betray us. They betray our worldview when we get into crisis corners or corners of absolute terror. Like there's fear, like, oh, did someone break into my house? But the the thing that's fascinating about sleep paralysis is it is a level of terror that goes beyond kind of the human experiences. And one of the things that I find so fascinating in it, because I did suffer with it for over 40 years, is as scary as it was and as much as I hated it, I was equally fascinated by it because of all (laughs) of this all of the spiritual implications of it and i talk a lot in the book about transformation uh one of the prime quotes that i use in the book i'm going to read this real quick this is from uh clive barker who's a playwright obviously hellraiser pinhead you know yeah, I and, think the, this, they're going to ruin Hellraiser with a reboot or something. Yeah, dude, <laughs> Clive did movie one and, yeah. and then like he did the Books of Blood and then somebody took over the franchise. Oh, and yeah. I'll, I don't know if he's regretting it as much as the fandom, but <laughs> that poor guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, definitely. But uh, this is an old quote. And when I read Brilliant it, man. it's going to be dated, but it, it follows into the theme of what we're talking about here. Um, Clive Barker said, confrontation with the very dark or the very bright should be about what you do tomorrow, what that does to your life thereafter. I don't believe these people who've had their paranormal experience and do nothing with this information except to go on the Phil Donahue show and say that they have seen them. These people are not transformed. Well, yes. Yeah. And man, and and here's, here's the long and the short of it. If you are having spiritual encounters like this, your whole entire life, like me, like the sleep, like sleep paralysis and these people that have contacted me and these case studies that I've, I've worked with, you will not experience decades of those types of experiences, whether you're witting or an unwitting victim of it, whether you're pursuing it, mm-hmm. you know, psychedelics and astral projection and higher vibrational third eye opening, whether you're pursuing it or whether you're being dragged into it in, in, an, in a sleep paralysis sort of scenario, you will not go to these places and speak to these beings and encounter these things and not be 100% spiritually transformed and And humbled humbled and the bad news is if we don't test the spirits if we don't figure out the wolves in sheep's clothing if we don't figure out the serpents in the garden if we don't figure out the lower from the higher vibrational whatever vocabulary words fit your worldview if we don't know how to do that your transformation might be to the salvation of your soul or to the destruction of it Mm. but it will transform you one way or the other that's so interesting i mean it's and i've heard this so many times and and that's why i look at a lot of stuff in the bible and not just the bible but the bible in particular and it's like all right well they are expressing a lot of things that that are directly involved with like aspects of consciousness and like decision making throughout life and like again it's fractal i love that word and it's Mm -hmm. it's the bible can be many many things um oh i'm losing it now (laughs) the uh so there there's a there's a uh there's a direness somewhere 
within all these religious texts here. For the most part, from what I've seen, there's always a diarist. And I wonder, maybe you can help me out here, is this direness felt only by the initiated because they've if you maybe god set it up like if you do come into spirit if you do have these encounters and you face transformation and you choose not to whether you believe in god or not you can kind of look at this as like either a self-punishment for a long time or maybe a, a hell or purgatory kind of uh allegory you know what i mean yeah it's yeah. like if you don't face the transformation head-on and you just keep denying it that seems to be a real problem maybe on an existential level and that's something that i've quarried with for 20 years now and it's it's this very dualistic thing probably because we're in a dual world and these two sides of the coin where one's saying everything's great and the other one's like, but yeah. what if it's not? And it's Absolutely. a spiral circling over and over again. It's almost <laughs> right brain, left brain. You could probably put into those terms too. We, we are trapped in a dualistic reality mm. and I think it's manufactured. I think that if the shackles were removed and the thought prisons were removed and all truth was revealed to us, I don't think we would be in a dualistic reality. I think that's meant to kind of enslave us, but you're going to love this. Okay. You're, you're going to love this. Uh, we're getting so many like things from revelation today. This is like, the, <laughs> uh, all, and even first John, these are all books written by John. So who knew, but um, there is a verse in revelation that never made sense to me as a kid. I was like, what? Um, it says that on judgment day, it's going, it, it says something to the effect where God himself is saying of his, of his creation, I would rather you were hot or cold. In other words, I would rather you had zeal for me and dedicated your entire life to serving and worshiping me, or that you were this consistent atheistic hated me right and that never made sense to me because it's like why would you want someone but what what he's saying is that i'll finish the verse i would rather you were hot or cold if you are lukewarm i will spew you out of my mouth now that's the nice king james version yeah the greek version <laughs> the connotation let me put it in 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 modern terms i would rather you were hot or cold if you're lukewarm, I'm going to puke you out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. I'm going to vomit you out. I can't stand the Switzerland stance of, of, you know, I'm either sense, you know, I'm going to be a lukewarm Christian where I do the bare minimum, but I have no affections for him or no loyalties for him. And if, if at the end of the day, if you put a gun to my head, I'm saving my own skin, you right. know, the lukewarm Christians. But then, you know, you've got the, the lukewarm people over here, too, where they state very emphatically, you know, I'm an atheist, but they really. Uh, they know atheists. nothing. Yeah, there, there's atheists. <laughs> they think we. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of them that are just a bundle of contradictions. They say it very emphatically. They have their script that they've memorized. Oh, God, it doesn't exist, whatever. But then as you talk about real life with them and as you go through suffering with them or you go through sorrow or, or you're dealing with them on a daily basis because you're friends, all these things coming out of their mouth are really 
betraying the things that they really say that they oh do. yeah and so when you call them out it depends on the personality but if you call them <laughs> out i i have a friend in particular that like oh it kind of sounds like you're you know yada 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 and they're like well no because you know the, I know. like well no the, the, that's a perfectly good explanation I know. <laughs> and we all do it and christians do it too and and so th this whole lukewarm i remember before i you know i was a kid i was probably like 11 or 12 years old and i had a brother that was two years older than me and so dad was at the dining room table you know doing his fatherly duty of teaching us a little bible study right and so he put a piece of paper in front of us and he drew a line and i think he put like one and and ten and then like a five um and then he's like i want you to take a pen he gave us a pen and he said i want you to mark on this line where you feel you are right now in your relationship with god or like your affections for christ or whatever and so i'm looking at it and i'm like well, I can't say 10 because that's not humble. I'm not going to say one. And I mean, if I say 10, it's going to look like, you know, I'm only 11, you know? And so I'm musing this and I'm thinking, well, I'm going to like play it safe. And I, I, circ I, I put myself maybe around like a six. I was right in the middle there. Cause I'm like, well, I really do love God. And, um, but I'm not, I'm, I don't, you know, I'm not perfect. And so I put my little mark, you know, kind of just off to the, to the right of the five. And I think my brother kind of put his the same and then total bait and switch. Oh my gosh. My dad reads us that verse from revelation. If you're hot or if you're lukewarm, you're screwed. And I'm like, Ooh, what? you know, and that had such, all or an, nothing. <laughs> such an impact on me, man. It's like, I better go all in, but, but it was hard because here's the here's the struggle with with bearing the label of a christian you got a lot to live up to especially in the eyes of people who are scrutinizing you because they're not christian mm. as soon as you bear that label there's a hundred million things that you can do to look like and be a christian you can go to church you can go to bad rock concerts <laughs> you yep, can yep. and you can you know you can um you know do all your you're you can be heavily involved in the church and you can like have your bumper stickers and your little fish stickers and you can do all this stuff and you can genuinely believe yeah. i'm doing a great job i'm 100 percent consistent but this is where you know when we're intellectually honest with ourselves if we really think in, like let's not think in terms of duty and service let's think in terms of affection because there's a lot of things in life that bring me pleasure and bring me joy that i get excited about and that i have a lot of uh time to 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 give to mm -hmm. and so when you're talking about let's not talk about service let's not talk about attendance let's not talk about let's talk about this is the question that we need to ask ourselves as believers and, and we need to ask other christians um where are your affections for God, right? Because he doesn't want our service. Like sacrifices do not require. He doesn't want mm -hmm. the blood of the bulls and the goats. And he wants the affection. And a lot of us, you know, myself included, we're very distracted people. I got a hundred things going on every day and I got friends and I got places to go and I got music I like and I got books I want to write. And, um, you know, it, how much of a piece of the pie it, it is God getting in my life. And so that's really the question that we got to ask because um, that's really what it's all, what it's all about. And so 
Um, and again, I hope we're not getting too far off track, but I just, I, I really think that the, the reason I wrote the sleep paralysis book, I really had Christians in mind when I wrote the book and yeah, that's great. what I said was we're now entering into an age where so much new age and Buddhism and ancient stuff like Mithraism and sun worship and occult Rosicrucianism, it's all in the church. It's in the seminaries. It's in the doctrine. It's in the theology. It's in the sermons. It has come full force into the church. And I hear a lot of things coming out of Christians' mouths where I'm like, you know, the first person who ever said that, Anton LaVey. And they're like, shut up. You know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it, I mean, it's becoming seamless. It, it's becoming uh, very difficult to tell the difference anymore. And so where this is starting to manifest with sleep paralysis is a lot of people are having these astral encounters with spirit guides and with astral entities. And they're showing up to church on Sunday talking about how they had a Holy Spirit encounter and they're failing to test the spirits. They can't tell the difference between the lower and the higher vibrational between, you know, the sheep and the wolf. And so <clears throat> what, what my concern is, is that we're becoming too, um, uh, there's not a lot of differentiation between all the world religions anymore. And Christianity used to be set apart to the point of annoyance and to the point of being, ostracized and, and hated because mm. they boycotted everything and you can't dance and you can't play cards and you don't go to movies and you know and so now mm -hmm. as Christianity is coming more and more and more over to this side but the occult is really coming more and more over to this side too because there's a lot of scripture and things a, a lot of the foundations of the occult is the scripture just flipped on its head so it's there and even though it's being done in ritual and it's being done in inversion yeah, I was going to say the the thing that's the, it says in scripture that all all scripture is God breathed and it's a double edged sword and it's for. And so the thing that's scary about scriptures and I'll warn the occultists out there is you can use you can quote scripture and read scripture because you're mocking it or because you're inverting it or because you're using it in a ritual. But if the scripture is what it says it is and there is a power within the word, if the word of God is God, as it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, or the word became flesh and made his dwell mm -hmm. and made his dwelling among it. So Jesus is actually even in, in the Greek in, in the book of John called the logos, which is the, the word he's called the word. And so, and then it says in revelation, um, all things will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so the only eternal thing, if you look at God as being the only, only eternal thing, he's not even giving himself the credit. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but I'm not going to pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. He equates his words with his being. And so <laughs> what I'm, what I'm saying and all that is be careful occultists, because even though you're going to these scriptures to, to mock or to invert it or to, to use it as a ritual, if there is a power in it, or if there is a supernatural force or being behind those words, even if you're meaning it for some other reason, those words can take root and they can, like Clive Barker said, become a transformational tool. And so mm -hmm. if you flirt with the scriptures, you might, you might fall into it. And Christians, 
if you flirt with the stuff that is incongruent with the scriptures, you might fall into it. And so uh, there, there is this ambiguity now where I think a lot of people are misconstruing a lot of the, a, a, a lot of the wolves in sheep's clothing are being put up on the pulpit with the microphone as, as the sheep. And so yeah. uh, that really was a, a big reason why I wrote the book because so many Christians are being attacked by this. And if, if all you do is say I'm having nightmares or all you do is just everything um, Christians, you need to be more articulate and you need to expand your vocabulary. If anytime something scary or bad or evil or uncomfortable happens to you, if everything's like, it's a demon, you know, <laughs> if, if everything in the world is a demon um, and then you just pray in the name of Jesus, like, it's not as simple as that. There are so many layers. And uh, I know I'm going to turn a lot of people off here, but there are a lot of spiritual beings on earth in the astral that might not by Christian definitions be good guys that aren't demons. There's more stuff out there than just the demons. And so Christians, you've you've got to expand your vocabulary and you've got to get knowledgeable. You've got to dig for the, you've got to dive for the pearls. And I think that the church and the sermons and the doctrine and the theological content that's being fed to us over the last 20 years, we're getting the leaves. We're not getting the pearls. And because of mm. that, we're being caught off guard. And uh, the, the, the great deception in revelation is that a guy is going to come who says he's Jesus Christ and everyone's going to believe it and they're going to follow him and whoopsies. It wasn't, it wasn't him. Yeah. And you know what, what's great is I, I don't know who came up with it. If anyone did, I know my friend said it to me one time. There's a, there's a parallel to the UFO and alien community too, where, yes. and no, almost, almost no one in that community says it. They say the opposite, but my friend looked at me one time because I brought up some UFO story and he said, if the mothership lands, don't get on the ship. And he just walked away. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, I think that might, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's so great, but I mean, you know, that might just because it's like a government secret ship. I know. So well, who and, knows? <laughs> and that's, but that's a great, that is great because what I'm starting to notice in the last three, five, eight years yeah. between, okay, we've got Christianity, right? We've got the conspiracy theories, but now we've got all these like, political deep state stuff out there we've got all yep. the QAnons and all that and it's all melding into one it used to be okay i can tell right away you're a christian because the way you're talking but right. now like depending especially depending on where you are in the country or like if you're in a blue or a red state i talk to people now and i think they're 100 percent christian and you find out no they could be a christian they could be a patriot they could be a QAnon. They could be a conspiracy theory. They could be a Republican. Like yeah. these groups, they're, they're all morphing into one now. And it's what I'm telling you. It's like, we have to discern the spirits. Like we have to be able to tell who's lying to us and who's not, you know? And so I love that you brought the UFO into it too. Oh, that's part of it. Absolutely. That's <laughs> Absolutely. part of the deception. Yeah. and what i love maybe not like project blue beam level it may not be because i mean hey there's thousands of people talking about project blue beam all the time where they're gonna project an alien invasion yes. or honestly it, it originally came from projecting jesus christ yep. uniting all the religions yes which what are they building like next year or something this major 
uh, one world religion foundation building or something. Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh There's something going on. It's, of course, whenever the state gets involved or money and power, whatever they're toting is not the thing they're toting. No, no. It's a, no, it's a hijacked no. version. Absolutely. No. And this goes all the way back. Nimrod was one of the first guys to try to put together a one world uh, government. And he came, mm. he would have succeeded. In Hotep as well. Yes. And he would have succeeded if, um, you know, according oh, yeah. to the account in Genesis, you know, Yahweh. I cannot and I misspoke. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> he looked down and he's like, I love this verse. This, this, should, this shows the human potential. From the mouth of, I think it was coming from the mouth of the pre-incarnate Messiah. It was coming from Yish, uh, uh, Yahweh, but who's Yahweh. Yeshua, but a lot of people think Yahweh's God. But anyway, mm. he looks down and he's looking at the construction of this tower. And he says to, you know, whoever he's talking to, we got to go down and check this out. Everything in the mind of man, anything that man can conceive, he can achieve. So in other words, if I, if we don't go down there and knock the building down, <laughs> they're going to build it. And um, so that's where the languages were confused. But what a lot of people don't realize, and there's people out there that, that talk about this better and in more in depth than me. And um, you've got um, kind of in like the Melu of people that I hang around with, you've got like Tom Horn and Tim Alberino, L.A. Marzulli and mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just going to quickly say, guys, too, while I said L.A. Marzulli, my, my book is only available on lamarzulli.net. L.A. published the book. It's not on Amazon at this point. So if you're looking for the book, you need to go to lamarzulli.net. Okay, so, great. Talk about UFO guy. And um, <laughs> yeah. was, I, I love that he brings in the Christian perspective. Another, um, if you're interested in the Christian perspective, uh, Joe Jordan of CE4. Uh, CE4 is a group that is, uh, Joe Jordan um, is also associated with MUFON. I think he's like got a role in MUFON in Florida, but he used to be a field researcher for MUFON like in the 90s. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Joe Jordan, actually, um, when he was a field researcher for MUFON, did a study in the 90s where he took 350 abductees and he interviewed them and he, and he did these case studies. And he determined that a large percentage of these abductees said that if they cried out to the name of Jesus in the midst of the abduction scenario, it would stop. It would stop. Man. And I talk about that a lot in the book because people who have sleep paralysis have the same experience. And this really? is where I'm going with this. I'm going to tell you the similarities between where these two scenarios are very similar. So, um, Joe Jordan attempted to get that information out there. I think, don't quote me on this. I might have this wrong. I think it was suppressed for, for a while, but it's out of the bag now. Now people talk about it pretty freely. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but what's interesting is where my research is kind of taking me now is there are some people who have sleep paralysis and they tell more of an alien abduction story than they do. It's not the shadow man. It's not the succubus. It's not astral. It's more um, some, some of the weird intricacies. It's like, there's a classic sleep paralysis. Everything is dark. Mm -hmm. A sleep paralysis UFO encounter, a bright light comes into the room and lights it up. So you've got dark versus light. And then in sleep paralysis, you've got some sort of entity showing up at the bedroom door, typically, not always. In UFO sleep paralysis encounters, it's the window. It's the thing at the window. And then in sleep paralysis, you're being 
um, taken out of your body upward, like towards the ceiling or toward the astral. And a lot of times with the UFO sleep paralysis experiences, you're being dragged towards the wall or towards the window. And, and then instead of the shadow person, you're seeing like the, the little green men, the grays, right? So anyway, mm. but with that said, there's been a lot of contention between sleep paralysis and UFO abduction researchers, because a lot of UFO abduction researchers are like, it's not the same. There's no relation it has not, nothing to do with each other. Well, what I'm starting, this is where my research is starting to go. And I need to give credit where credit is due. Jim Wilhelmson, author of Beyond Science Fiction, and Tim Alberino, who just wrote Birthright, um, they both mentioned this. And they mentioned little things that got me thinking. And, and so I've been researching this out. In, in a UFO abduction scenario, you have people that report missing time. And they know something supernatural happened to them, but they have no memory of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas sleep paralysis, people say, I woke up in my bed and I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I saw the shadow person and you, they can recall this whole event. And, the, and so um, what I'm starting to realize is if you go to bed and you sleep eight hours a night, which I never do. And, you know, neither do I. Praise to you if you can actually sleep eight hours in this. Oh my gosh. But mm -hmm. let's say, let's say you sleep four hours, five hours, six hours. We go to bed and it's not that we don't occasionally wake up or look at the clock or look at our phone and see what time it is. But for the most part, we're not tracking time at night when we go to bed. And so if I go to bed at two in the morning and I wake up at nine, um, I'm not going to know if I had any missing time. And I'm especially mm -hmm. not going to know if I'm missing time because I've had dreams and with sleep paralysis, you don't have the time. You don't even know if you're awake or asleep or halfway between. And it's very confusing. Right. And, um, I've seen, yeah, I've heard about time dilation as well involved with it too. So yeah, absolutely. And so sleep paralysis, I, I'm thinking, and like, again, I have to give credit where credit is due. Tim Alberino really planted the seed with something he said. And as someone who has had sleep paralysis her whole life, I will admit I had some cognitive dissonance the first time I heard it. I'm like, I can't deal with it. I can't even think about this right now. So it took me a while before I even was willing to contemplate it. But what he said was, what if, what if the sleep paralysis experience is an abduction scenario? Now it's different. You're not going to like some sort of medical, you're not, it's not like the mm -hmm. same sort of like they're stealing my ovaries kind of thing. Right. It's more mm -hmm. of an astral classroom, you know, um, but he said, what if the part where you wake up in your bedroom terrified and you can't move and you're crying out for Jesus to save you, what if that's actually not the beginning of a sleep paralysis incident? What if it's the ending of it and you have no memory of what happened in the astral before it? Mm. So you're up in the astral. You've been abducted in the same sense as, as, a, as an abductee. You've been abducted. You're in the astral. Um, and if you want to know what's going on in the astral for sleep paralysis, people, chapter four, um, threshold <laughs> nice. covenants and astral vampires. And yeah, I talk oh, about cool. real vampires. It's it's great. You'll love it. So yeah. anyway, <clears throat> if you're up in the astral making covenants with beings that you may or may not have tested first because you're not even aware that you're there and you're not even going to remember that you were there so how do you test spirits to see if they're lower vibrational or higher vibrational or sheep or wolves when you get 
wake up in your bedroom terrified and you don't even remember you were there. Mm. <laughs> so what what's scary about that is um if these people who have had sleep paralysis their whole life and I'm talking to myself here, what if this isn't just these really scary dreams that turn into kind of altered states of consciousness and you wake up and you're super scared and you go, Jesus, help me. And then the thing goes away and then you feel a little on edge the rest of the day. What if you are having actual astral encounters in the astral realm? What if you're actually like the serpent in the garden? What if you're being duped into contracts and covenants and agreements and promises with these entities and you can't even wake up and undo the covenants or pray your way out of them because you, you don't know, remember can i can i cut in real quick with the story please, um please, just a please. short one <clears throat> but um i felt like during my psychedelic experiences that i ran into a lot of hidden things that i created myself right okay um you know it was like i tell people often that i basically found the real conspirator and he was in here oh. you know keeping the inner child running around the cycle over and over again and kind sure. of hiding key parts of things and it felt like exactly how you're describing it was as if i entered a world that you know, like the movies where you, it's like, I did all that. It's like total recall. It <laughs> felt like that because it was yes. like, wait, oh my God, there's a deep part of me that remembers telling myself this 30 years ago. I'm 36, 37, yeah. 37. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so like when I was a little kid, I remember places that I would think about that may have been imaginary or may have been drawn from this world when I was a little kid that I would spend time in, in my mind. And that those, these things came back to me in yeah. these, and it was a whole world I had forgotten about entirely. And all, of course, this whole experience happened within like a moment, mm. you know, of understanding and realizing and seeing all this. Um, yeah. I don't know if there was a question in there really, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just I guess to, to to add to the the spectrum of of weirdness that because I I don't I'm not saying any of that to like contradict the um the more religious aspect of it or anything. It's like again I feel like it's a spectrum, right? It's all different interpretations of the uninterpretable experience, yeah. right? Yeah. There is so much we don't know, even in this science glorifying culture that we live in. There is so much we don't know about the conscience, about the brain, about mm. dreams. Isn't it interesting that we're this far into things? We have so much technology and they still don't know why we dream. They still don't know what it is, what causes it. They still don't understand 90% of the brain. I mean, and they probably know more than they're letting on. They're probably more advanced than, than we know they are. But even they probably know that we're never going to know. Probably, right? That goes back to my whole, like, I ruined the, the Christmas surprise or whatever. That feeling was so overwhelming on a primordial level. It was like, yeah, you while you're here in this density, in this duality, the whole purpose of that almost, just like politicians do with red versus blue, <laughs> is to cause the confusion so you can't see the obvious thing right in front of you yeah and well let me yeah, get spiritual let me give, or psychedelic let me give you a little like bright light in case you sure. think christmas morning was ruined um 
Oh, I still don't <laughs> remember. My brain won't tell me. So well, that's true. Um, <laughs> there, there uh, is a verse in scripture. Uh, no eye has seen, no ear has perceived what God has in mind for those who love him. And so in other words, everything, even the worthless secrets of heaven that were divulged to mankind, even with all the knowledge we have, all the information we have, even all of the things that we've discovered that maybe were forbidden to us, whether it was mm. that tree or it was that mine that we that we dug too deep in, even if we discover, even Andy, if you and I discover 200% more in our lifetime than the average dummy who doesn't ever explore or ask questions, we haven't scratched the surface of what's knowable or what's out there to heal us and bring us joy and friendship and love. And so that you have to understand that if God is who he says he is and he's good, that means that he's saving all the best Christmas presents for Christmas day. Right. And so all right. the stuff we get down here that makes us happy and satisfies us and gets us up the next morning and gives us pleasure. That's great. But we haven't even seen the presents under the tree that are going to blow our mind. Hmm. I like that. That's a good analogy. <laughs> That's a good way to tie it all together. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a really great conversation. I can't uh, wait to read your book. I mean, I haven't even read it yet, but I knew this was going to be an interesting conversation. So I, one last question. I'm curious what your take on that documentary uh, on sleep paralysis. Uh, what, what's your take on it? That The Nightmare? Did you see that? Yeah. Okay. I haven't. And I'll tell you why. Okay. There, that documentary came out. And there's also, there's one other Christian book that's been written on sleep paralysis by Chris White, I think his name is. Because I've been involved in this project so long, I purposely didn't watch or read it because I didn't want any of it to influence. Like I wanted, I wanted this to just be whatever the spirit of God was telling me to write. And and so now I'm excited because the book has only been out since the end of July. And so I, it is on my bucket list to watch that. Oh, cool. That's awesome. That's so, (laughs) I love that. I love that. One of my favorite metal bands. You know, the lead singer was asked, like, what metal bands do you listen to? And he was like, oh, I don't listen to any metal. I don't want their shit kind of getting into my yeah. head. And um, I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, Van Halen said that, too. He's like, I don't ever listen to other people's music. And I'm like, yeah, no wonder your stuff is so good. <laughs> it's like, he's so stuck up, but he's so good. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. Oh, here we are at the end. And now you bring up metal. I, I know. Oh, that's cool. Well, you know what? I'll have to have you back. I've got a lot of good friends that I think we could do a great roundtable around oh. these topics you know um, come from different walks of life but all kind of like talking about we're all talking about the same thing right so yeah yeah i I think this that that would be great (laughs) well if i just little plug at the end here they only come out at night lamarzuli.net we talked a little bit about this and one of the reasons annie i love this topic because it didn't just go to the cliche like let's talk about a shadow person for an hour like i loved this I've been there <laughs> so, but for people who are wondering like how much of that topic was in the book and how much of it isn't i'm just going to give here's a here's a table of contents just so you know what's going on uh sleep paralysis a brief introduction uh medicine versus mysticism and the cult of asclepius theosophy and the theory of transformation threshold covenants and astral vampires the clouds of heaven and the merkava mysticism and the adversary's end game and your way out of the astral matrix. 
I, I do bring the Bible into it, folks, but I also bring in extra biblical texts, new age, world religions, philosophy, science, medicine. And I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get this conversation pushed out of the cliche horror movie genre and into an intellectually honest, spiritual, scientific discussion and to find help for people who are being traumatized by this. That's phenomenal. I love it. The, seriously, this is great because this is the kind of conversations I'm really at the root of it. Like my most passionate thing is the synergy of all of these different experiences and these different topics. Yeah. Because again, we're all kind of searching for the, at least in this community where we're all asking these questions and all searching, we're all listening. We're kind of looking for the same thing, whether we, like we said from the very beginning, whether we disagree on surface levels, we're all coming from that same place. We're Absolutely. all, as as uh, Ramdas, evil or not, right, used to say, we're all just walking each other home. Absolutely. And that just always touched my heart when he said that, you know. We have to plug our ears to culture that's telling us to be, you know, careful of every single thing we say and think. We have to stop being afraid to ask questions and we have to stop being afraid of the answers. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Excellent. Couldn't have summed it up better. <laughs> so everybody, please check out Vicky's book and Vicky's work. And uh, yeah, where can they find you if they want to reach out? Oh, yeah. So my website, VickyJoyAnderson.com. And that's Vicky with an I. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok. I think there's an Instagram link on my site. TikTok, I think, is VJ a author um cool. so yep you can find me there and there's a contact page on my website and anybody who's had an experience or they've never been able to talk about it or they've got a question or they just want to chit chat whatever uh send me an email awesome awesome it was really great getting to know you and getting to talk to you about this stuff and yeah i would love to have another conversation with with a group that would be i think that'd be great that's the next step definitely all right, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. This was excellent. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Deep Share Podcast. If you want to hear more, then hit that subscribe button. Follow me on all the social places. And remember, think for yourself, but don't always believe what you think. Till next time. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats swimming together, that's a carrier. Enough, I get the point. <laughs> you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. <laughs> and you will atone. What do we know? What do we know? If I know what we know, well, then I can tell you what we know, and if someone else knows, okay? <laughs> <laughs>